Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I'm Neil. Welcome into the Skeptic Arena. Today's story is an essay written by biology professor Jerry Coyne of the University of Chicago. His essay is entitled, A New Paper on Free Won't and Its Relevance to Free Will. He begins, I've written quite a bit on experiments showing that one can, using brain scans, predict decisions before the human subject is conscious of having made them. These decisions include either things like deciding when to press a button or choice experiments in which you decide to add or subtract or to press a button with your right or left hand. In the choice cases, brain scans can predict which choice will be made with significant but not perfect accuracy, about 60 to 70 percent. Jerry. 60 to 70% is a lot closer to random chance, 50%, than it is to perfect accuracy, 100%. Yet you choose to label that result significant. Why do you think that a result which is far closer to random chance than it is to perfection is significant? Coin continues. But in some cases, those predictions can be made up to seven seconds before the subject is conscious of having made a decision. Jerry, as I just pointed out, that seven seconds might be impressive if those predictions weren't so far from 100%. He wrote, the first one of these studies was published in 1985 by Benjamin Libet, who showed that a readiness potential for pressing a button could be seen in the brain about a third of a second before the subjects were conscious of having decided to do the press. Since then, the decisions have become more complex, the brain scans more refined, and the time of readiness potential pushed farther and farther back. Jerry, Libet was not a fan of determinism, nor was he particularly pleased that determinists hijacked his experiments and interpreted them the way they needed to interpret them. And in the Word document associated with this podcast, I provided a link to Benjamin Libet and non-determinism. Jerry wrote, these results won't surprise any determinists or even free will compatibilists who all agree that our decisions are made not by some spooky will, but by the laws of physics. Jerry, your claim regarding the beliefs of free will compatibilists doesn't jive with the definition. And I provided him a link to the definition of compatibilism. Jerry, according to that definition, they would not all agree that our decisions are only made by the laws of physics. Perhaps you can provide a link to the definition of free will compatibilists that you are using. 
And what part of making a free choice do you find spooky? And can you explain what you mean by your claim that the laws of physics can make decisions? Coin continues. And of course, we all know of decisions we make that appear to derive from our unconscious. For example, driving a well-traveled route where you don't think to yourself, turn here, but where you seem to be operating on autopilot. Jerry, I would go with subconscious on that one. Driving while unconscious would probably get you about as far as the lobby of the Ritz-Carlton in Chicago, upside down. He continues, but these brain scan results are distressing to dualists and to those who believe in the religious or libertarian form of free will in which decisions are made by something detached from the physical brain. Jerry, name one decision made by something or anything that is detached from the physical brain. Oh, that's right, you just gave an example the laws of physics. So it turns out that, in fact, you are the one who believes that decisions can be made by something detached from the physical brain, the laws of physics. Do you still find it distressing? He wrote, the implications of these studies, that decisions can precede consciousness of having made them, even disturbed Libet who, though admitting that his studies did cast doubt on free will, still opted for something dualistic called free won't. That is, although one's decision to do something might be decided in the brain before coming to consciousness, there was still a form of dualism in the decision to cancel or override one's action. That doesn't make much sense, since cancellation is still something that takes place in the brain. Jerry, I don't think you realize the corner you just painted yourself into. If it doesn't make sense because cancellation takes place in the brain, then it follows that the only way for it to make sense would be for cancellation to take place outside the brain. See the problem, Jerry? You already admitted that cancellation takes place in the brain. Therefore, you are the one who isn't making any sense, not Libet. He wrote, if you think about it for a minute, you can see that canceling or overriding a decision can in fact derive from similar physical and neural antecedents as making a decision itself. That is, there's no substantive difference between deciding to do something and then deciding not to do it. Jerry, one process initiates and implements a decision while the other initiates and then halts the implementation of the decision. The initiation of the decision is not just similar but identical in each case. But please explain the similarity you see between implementing a decision and halting one. Are you sticking with your defense because both take place in the brain? If a decision is finalized before the subject is consciously aware of the decision, how do you explain the subject's ability to cancel that decision? And which physical and neural antecedents are you claiming are similar between implementing a decision and overriding one? He wrote, after all, both are decisions. Jerry, that's true, but decisions with opposite effects. In one case, you fire the bullet. In the other case, you don't. 
I would venture that for the person standing in front of you, that's a pretty significant difference. He continues, and both might be predictable in advance by brain scans. Jerry, might be? So now you bolster your argument with might be? Very persuasive, Jerry. I'm sure the researchers in Germany are already considering retracting their study. He wrote, I find this whole area of research fascinating because of its implications for how we make decisions. Jerry, that's an odd statement coming from a determinist who doesn't believe we possess the ability to make decisions. He wrote, a new paper in Procedures of the National Academy of Sciences by Matthias Schultz Kraft et al. investigates how the brain works when it cancels a decision. Jerry, if determinism is true, how could a decision get canceled? If it were meant to be, then it couldn't be canceled, could it? And if it were not meant to be, meaning it gets canceled, why would your deterministic universe initiate it in the first place? Did it just want to practice its canceling skills? Now Jerry describes the experiment. Subjects were shown a green light and then asked to push a button with their foot after counting to themselves two seconds after they saw the green light. An EMG was connected to the button pushing leg to detect when movement began. And an EEG was connected to the head to monitor brain activity. The average time to press the button after the green light went on was 5.4 seconds. After some human examination of the EEGs, these brain readouts were analyzed and then programmed so that the scans themselves would flash a red light when the computer detected that the subject had started the readiness potential in the brain to push the button. The subject would then get points if, after seeing the red light, they managed to not press the button. In other words, the subjects were asked to cancel a movement whose processing had already begun in the brain but which had not yet produced a movement. The readiness potential in the brain began about one second before the muscles gave an EMG reading from the leg muscle. And there was another 0.3 seconds before the button was actually pressed. The computer was trained for each subject based on their observed readiness potentials. And when the readiness potential crossed the threshold, the computer program turned on the red light, telling the subject, do not press the button. Because of variations in threshold crossing and onset of an individual's readiness potential, the light went on at various times before the EMG lit up and before the subject pressed the button. Sometimes the red light didn't go on and subjects pressed the button. But sometimes the red light did go on, but they still pressed the button, giving us the big result, which was if the red light went on two-tenths of a second or less before the movement began, subjects could not help starting their move toward pressing the button. Now Coyne writes, In other words, there's a point of no return that occurs about 0.8 seconds after the readiness potential has started, but before the muscles move, after which, even if the subject sees the red light, they cannot help but move. Now sometimes they can still avoid pressing the button itself, but their leg is still moving towards it. What does this mean? Well, it does not show that there's free won't. Jerry, 
What a shock. I never would have guessed that you would come to that conclusion. But actually, you didn't come to that conclusion, did you? You started with that conclusion. You should Google confirmation bias. However, that is not the conclusion that the researchers came to. But then again, what would they know? Just like Libet, they too misunderstood the results of their own experiment. Good thing you are here to correct them and tell them how to properly interpret their results. He continues, after all, the subjects are canceling their movement as a reaction to seeing a light, an environmental stimulus rather than some conscious decision. Jerry, Libet already showed us that the conscious mind is not quick enough to initiate a decision to act. You have made it clear that you understand this. So for you to now claim that canceling a movement must be the result of a conscious decision is disingenuous. Since the environmental stimulus could not possibly have stopped the movement by itself, perhaps you could tell us what you believe stopped the movement. Jerry continues, what it does say is that there appear to be physical constraints in canceling a decision so that even if you want to get your reward, you can't. Now the constraint, I think, is likely to be the reaction time to the red light. That is, there's a certain time you need to see the light, process the information in your brain, and then use it to send a signal to your leg to stop moving. And that time is about two-tenths of a second. In other words, you could still have free won't, but this experiment says little about it. In fact, I'm not sure that this experiment can say anything about free won't. Since you are not making a conscious cancellation, but are told to cancel in response to a light. Jerry, why do you think that free will can only be exercised by the conscious mind? Why do you exclude the possibility that the subconscious mind can also play a role? And when you say told to cancel, what exactly is being told? Jerry, when playing Flight of the Bumblebee, a very fast tune, on the piano, there is simply no time to be conscious of every keystroke. Were we to try to consciously strike every key, the tune would probably sound more like Amazing Grace. And in the Word document associated with this podcast, I have provided links to those two tunes. Jerry, how do you explain the pianist's ability to veto every errant keystroke? Oh, that's right. As a determinist, you believe that free will is an illusion. Therefore, the pianist does not choose which keys to play. And remember, sports fans, earlier, Jerry called free will spooky. Now he writes, but what it does show is that what is determined by unconscious brain activity is reversible by an external stimulus. Jerry, the external stimulus did not stop the action. The external stimulus was the signal upon which the mind acted to stop the action. That was a pretty significant misunderstanding on your part, Jerry. He wrote, what would truly refute the notion of free won't is the demonstration that cancellation of a movement itself previously decided and predicted by brain activity can show up as a brain signal. 
For example, the cancellation can be predicted before you're conscious of it. Jerry, so now you're betting all your nickels on the desperate hope that a hero will come along and refute veto power? Jerry, you should also Google wishful thinking. He wrote, the authors report two studies of spontaneous self-cancellation, and one of them might indeed give evidence against free won't, but I haven't read it. Jerry, might give evidence? This is getting embarrassing. This isn't an argument. It's simply a desperate attempt at a rebuttal to a study that came out which contradicted what you believe to be true. He wrote, perhaps readers can read it and report back, but since cancellation is a brain output qualitatively similar to an action decision, I can't imagine why there wouldn't be libertarian free will, but could be libertarian free won't. Jerry, your argument has now added the all-powerful, I can't imagine why. Compelling would be an understatement. After reading this essay, I think those authors in Germany should retract their paper. Their work in their own field couldn't possibly stand up to the razor-sharp rebuttal that you just wrote. Jerry continues, The authors of this paper themselves don't appear to accept dualistic free will or free won't, as is clear from their discussion. Free won't, of course, is just a form of free will. Jerry, as scientists, perhaps they don't choose to assert that they have discovered the answer to free will, as you have. His essay continues, as you see below, they discuss the results in terms of naturalistic, materialistic brain phenomena, with cancellation associated with specific brain regions. Here's an excerpt from the paper. Jerry, let's just skip over the excerpt and resume where you continue your essay. And Jerry continues his essay by writing, At least one article has suggested that this study gives some evidence for dualistic libertarian free will, arguing that the readiness potential doesn't govern our brain. But I don't think this study gives any solace to advocates of libertarian free will. All it shows is that a decision made by the brain and later arriving at consciousness can be halted by an external stimulus that also impinges on the brain. Jerry, the movement was not halted by the external stimulus. It was halted by the reaction of the brain to the external stimulus. At this point, Jerry, I don't think retraction of the study is sufficient. This powerful essay of yours should be used to justify confiscating every single one of their lab coats. Jerry writes, that's exactly what we predict from the notion that the brain is a computer. Jerry, this was a classic case of confirmation bias. You obviously did not read their paper with the intention of objectively evaluating it, but rather with the intention of finding weaknesses that you could exploit to promote your deterministic worldview. You have battled evolution deniers so long that you have become just like them. You have not offered a single piece of evidence to support your position, and that is the only fact that really matters. Jerry wrote, 
that consciousness is an epiphenomenon that often follows a brain's decision. Jerry, you should check out this link. And I gave him a link to Calvinism. Jerry, the only difference I see is that they have a magic ghost and you don't. Otherwise, it's the same shit. And Jerry concludes by writing, and that we can affect the working of the brain by changing the environment of the brain owner. Jerry, we are not disputing that the environment affects our brain. What we are disputing is that you think that the environment controls our brain. And no sports fans, Jerry never did reply to this email. What a shock. And now we move to the science segment. Today's story. The strength of brain connectivity in older adults varies with fitness level. Age-related differences in brain health, specifically the strength of connections between different regions of the brain, vary with fitness level in older adults. The greater cardiorespiratory fitness, which is a measure of aerobic endurance, relates to stronger brain connections and likely improves long-term brain function in aging populations. There are many ways to measure brain health across the lifespan. One popular technique measures the strength of connections between different parts of the brain while the person is completing a task or during wakeful rest. The latter is known as resting state functional connectivity. Research has shown that some of these connections weaken with increasing age and indicate deteriorating brain health. Using functional magnetic resonance imaging, researchers measure the strength of these connections throughout the brain in younger and older adults at rest. As expected, most connections were weaker for older adults when compared with younger adults. Researchers then examined the role of cardiorespiratory fitness on resting brain connectivity in older adults. Fitness is determined by how efficiently someone uses oxygen during physical activity such as running on a treadmill. The benefits of fitness seem to occur within the low to moderate range of endurance, suggesting that the benefits of fitness for the brain may not depend on being extremely fit. And now we move to the final segment of the show, famous quotes. Today, William James, born 1842, died 1910 at the age of 68. William James was an American philosopher and psychologist who was also trained as a physician. The first educator to offer a psychology course in the United States, James was one of the leading thinkers of the late 19th century and is believed by many to be one of the most influential philosophers the United States has ever produced, while others have labeled him the father of American psychology. And here is the quote from William James. Thinking is what a great many people think they are doing when they are simply rearranging their prejudices. Are you ready, With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.